This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth conversation you won't hear anywhere else. This week, I got an opportunity to sit down with Admiral Mike Mullen. He's the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The reason? The second annual Summit on Security hosted at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. We talked about his role in one of the most critical missions in recent American military history, the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden. Check it out. So, Admiral Mullen, when you look at this exhibit, this new exhibit at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum, it's arresting in so many ways, and it takes us back to such a dramatic moment in American history. Yeah. Tell us about that moment for you. Well, that moment for me, the, I viewed it and said right afterwards that the world's changed forever. Uh, and I was actually in the Pentagon that day. Uh, and I was in a meeting with the head of the Navy, which was 75 feet or so from my office, uh, and which was around the corner. And my two assistants, uh, my office is up on the fourth floor of the Pentagon, and my, uh, my two assistants looked out the window and saw a 757 flying under their feet as they uh, talked to me later about what they went through. So, uh, and as I'm sure anybody, everybody can remember, it was a, it was a spectacularly gorgeous day uh, in the fall that just wreaked devastation that uh, will and should always be remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the uh, 9-11s will, will always be, I mean, I, it's, the, it's, for me, it's sort of the Pearl Harbor of, of uh, our mo- of modern times, mm-hmm. and it is something that we should absolutely never forget. And our hearts and prayers, and continuous thoughts go out to those who lost a loved one that day, and there were thousands. So that that it all comes rushing back, sure. pretty quickly. And in many ways, that sets off, sets up, I should say, one of the most important dramatic manhunts in American history. It culminates with the killing of Osama bin Laden. Right, right. Tell me what that was like leading up to it and then the day that that happened. Well, we had been hunting for bin Laden for intensely for years. And, um, and I think just the fact that it took so long, uh, it took a decade to, to get to that culminating point is indicative of how difficult a target he was, and the care with which he took to hide and those around him. Um, uh, and it was an incredibly intense effort to do that. Obviously, we were doing other things. We had a war in Iraq. We had a war in Afghanistan. But we never lost focus. Uh, and in one of the one of the, uh, groups I'd like to give credit to, uh, uh, there was a special, I think, run on CNN a few years ago, the four ladies in the agency who in the late 80s really started and stayed after bin Laden when they had no resources, nobody was paying much attention to them. And so it had been going on for a long, long time. Uh, and, uh, and, and then it culminated, obviously, in better intelligence. And in the last few months, really, I didn't get involved until January in terms of what the possibilities might be. And, and that was right, because one of my concerns was, all of our concern was, if there'd been any indication that we knew he would have, 
he would have left. And in fact, his his principal advisors were telling him in that time frame that we actually killed him. Uh, it was time to go. They were concerned he'd been there too long, right? And they needed to move. So, had it not happened that night, uh, it could have been another decade before we found him. And what was that night like? People ask me of that famous picture, uh, and one of the reasons I think it's famous is because it really does capture the moment, and it, it was very, very tense. That said, it was a decision, and it was a courageous decision from my perspective on the part of President Obama, because we didn't actually know he was there. We had lots of circumstantial evidence. I viewed it as a bet the presidency uh, uh, decision that the president made, um, and uh, and the night itself— uh, the actual night of the the killing uh, was we were into that operation, uh, you know, for two a couple days at that point. So it had it had been going for some time, and there had been rehearsals and lots of uh, preparation go on for literally four months in the event that we could pin him down. So uh, we we had planned uh, this down to. Uh, a level of detail that uh, would, in the end, allow us to kill him. But one of the things I'm, I like to remind people of is that same night in Afghanistan, there were 14 other missions similar to that that were, uh, that were carried out. Uh, and while strategically, this one certainly had the highest risk, but we have done thousands and thousands and thousands of these missions over the course of the years that we had been fighting. So I had every expectation that if he was there, we were going to either be able to capture or kill him. That said, it was tense, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't over until it was over. And by that, I mean literally not just the killing him or getting him out or getting him back into Afghanistan, taking his DNA and positively identifying him, getting him on a helicopter, flying him through Pakistani airspace and getting him out to a carrier at sea where he could be buried consistent with his beliefs, his religious beliefs, which is what we did. And so when you think about that moment and you fast forward to today, what has it ultimately meant for the war and terror, which has not ended in many ways and has only become in some ways more complicated. Well, I think it, it in, in terms of having a huge impact on the Al-Qaeda organization, it did. When you take out a leader like that, just as the very recent right. killing of Baghdadi has had a big impact on the ISIS organization, but it doesn't make the ideas go away. It doesn't make the aspiration go away. Uh, and it hasn't with uh, Al-Qaeda, nor has Baghdadi's death uh, done that uh, with ISIS. And so I think we have to stay at this. We still, we still are in a situation where, where we are seen as the, the evil empire, if you will, from the terrorist perspective, and they continue to come after us. There's a debate now about whether or not we should stay in Afghanistan. We, we in fact, uh, know that some 20-plus terrorist organizations who aspire to do us ill live in that border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And I think leaving them unattended uh, it would be high risk and very dangerous. So that war continues, and, and, and the root cause issues are the ones that 
I think we we all need to continue to focus on, and it's tied to young, mostly young men, but young men in that part of the world who have no future and who decide at the age of 15 years old to put on a suicide vest and end their life. The, the root cause issues are still there, and I think as long as they are there, uh, and we are seen in the West as the individual or the, the institutions and the nations that we are, that the terrorism is going to continue. And as you look around the world, clearly that continues to be a hot spot. The, the Middle East, the Gulf states have only become, in many ways, as I alluded to, more complicated uh, in, yeah. in many ways. In, in your work now as in the private sector, how, how would you identify the, the biggest areas of threat for the United States right now? In a, in a world that is constantly changing, and we talk about the technological change and the world changes in almost every dimension, what is somewhat ironic from my perspective is when we talk about the threats that are out there and the countries that are out there, it's still Russia, it's China, it's North Korea, it's Iran. One might add Venezuela right now just because the complete sure. chaos that's there. But it's the same cast of characters that have been around uh, literally even prior to the Cold War ending, but certainly with uh, an intensity since the Cold War. So as the world changes, uh, it is the technology and the capabilities of these countries which we need to pay attention to. But it's basically the same group, and we're going to need to continue to be able to push back on them in a way that that uh, allows the world, I think, to to thrive, and that's certainly a problem. Whether it's the Gulf, the Persian Gulf, or, or the Middle East, I think we're on a we're on a long boil in the Middle East right now. Thirty or forty years, it's certainly not going to sort out very quickly. Um, uh, and uh, and we've got a you know a rising China, a resurgent Russia. Uh, we've got a Europe which is certainly in some churn politically because of what's happened. So the challenge is now actually, and you add the the existing threat of terrorism, mm-hmm. which we talked about earlier. The challenges now are uh, every bit as much, if not harder, and more significant than they were during the Cold War. You know, it's the week of Veterans Day, and, and I will take this moment to thank you personally for, for your service to the country. Thank you. I, I do wonder, because I know it's an issue that's been very important to you, the the role of the military and the view of the military in society yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Certainly ebbed and flowed, changed over the course of, of your career. Correct. Where do you see it right now in 2019? It's a precious, precious institution, and its reputation, which is apolitical uh, from throughout our history, in the ebbs and flows, is absolutely critical. And uh, to your point about I've seen it in a different place coming out of Vietnam, which is the first war I fought in, where the military was, was so... Uh, much uh, it w- was held in very very low esteem, uh, and that has changed over the course of many decades. And the institution is held in high regard uh, throughout the country, and we need to preserve that. And we're going through a very difficult time as a country right now. Certainly, in my life, I've never seen us so politically divided. I've never seen Washington so dysfunctional, with political leaders on both sides of the aisle unable to deliver for the American people. Um, but it's a system I believe in, uh, and uh, we need to make sure that the democracy 
continues to function and that we don't uh, walk away from its principles. Uh, it's a responsibility of the American people to make sure that that governance uh, is correct for us in the future and that the military is, in general, certainly the active duty side, in support of those that the American people elect mm -hmm. uh, and that even those who are retired, uh, oftentimes from my point of view, uh, need to be reminded that it's not our position uh, to take a stand against a president or a policy because I think that confuses the American people because we're seen as military experts and in ways we always speak for the military. Mm. So preserving that apolitical aspect of the United States military uh, is absolutely at the top of my list in terms of priorities for the country. That was Admiral Mike Mullen, and I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with him. So thoughtful about so many aspects of his own career, the role of the military, the political time we are living in, and the role that we all have to play. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune into Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.